So we're continuing this week. Uh, we're in this series. We're calling "Come and See" and uh, building off of using uh, some of the videos from the first season of the Chosen Video series, and you can find that online. Uh, if you go, to, just put in the Chosen TV. You'll, it'll take you to the app. It's uh, Angel Studios, I believe, is the producer on it. And as we come into this uh, today, we're going to talk about the, the strong, strong foundation in our lives. And I want to open you with a, a teaching that Christ gives us in Matthew's Gospel. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We've heard that, uh, most of us have heard it uh, many times in the course of our life as we're growing up. And, and I want to say, you know, having heard that for many years, it really wasn't until you actually have gone through an experience where you've been in a hurricane or a flood that you understand that the kind of devastation that is left behind. That uh, when Jesus talks about this, you know, the, if it's not built properly, if it's not strong, you know, when the winds come and beat against it and the, and the streams rise and run against it, uh, it, the house comes down, the walls come apart. And for many of us uh, right now, as we're coming out of this time of pandemic, uh, you know, we're, we're having some sense of maybe uh, there's a storm blowing around us uh, and, and, you know, affecting our lives and, you know, shattering us and shaking us uh, aside from the pandemic stuff you know just kind of we've got all that hopefully we're on the on the right side of that but aside from that you know we, we've had family and friends we've lost during this period of time we've had relationships that have broken down we've had job difficulties and financial difficulties that have happened all the other kinds of thing in life that affect us uh, we're watching the situation with Russia and the Ukraine and, and all of those kinds of things that that would affect us anyway but in the aftermath of, of COVID, there's kind of an underlying sense of fear and dread in a lot of us. So that every time something comes up, uh, it's almost like PTSD. You know, we, we become more afraid than we would have before. And it rattles us, it shakes us. And, and in the midst of that, I just, you know, as you think about all the things that are pushing on your life and the things that are beating against the walls of your life right now, um, how's your foundation holding up? You know, as we say in the vernacular, how's that working for you? I mean, do you feel grounded and, and centered and established and at peace? Or do you feel like things are just about to come apart? Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you for gathering us in this morning, for bringing us into this place and this time of worship, for being present with us and breathing your life into us. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in the episode this week, uh, the primary emphasis of the, or most of the episode centers around the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, but, but it relates and kind of reaches out to a number of different kind of characters and places. And one of those I want to lift up to you is a story back in numbers that a lot of us are not familiar with. So let me share this out of scripture with you. 
They, the Israelites, traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Uh, they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Now they're talking about the manna. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now Jesus makes a direct reference to this story in John's gospel, and you'll hear that in a minute. But, but a lot of times we who have not read widely in scripture, and let's be honest, how many of you have read a lot in Numbers? Yeah, right. So, so, you know, sometimes we are not familiar with this story. So I, I want to point you back to it and remind you of this story because it, it, it's important for understanding the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. There's a wonderful episode in this video where um, Moses is, is, is crafting this bronze serpent and, and Joshua comes in and Joshua is trying to understand what's going on. And there's this wonderful interchange between Moses and Joshua based on Numbers 2. And we'll have to leave and find some place else. I'm not leaving anytime soon. Too many people are sick and cannot walk. After today, the only Hebrews too sick to walk will be those who choose to remain so. Is there medicine in that bronze? You told the people that you would ask God to forgive their rebellion. To heal their serpent wounds. I did. Then why are you hiding in a tent? It wasn't my idea, Joshua. That is a pagan symbol. You did not ask him if you were sure. Maybe you misunderstood him. I've learned to do what he says without questioning. You remember what happened at Meribah. Just to be sure, we could send a messenger to Iziongib or beg for aid. That Poe. Hand me that Poe. say it is a cruel joke. Let them say that. Help me understand. None of this makes any sense. How do you explain the Red Sea? The man in the coil? The pillar of fire? Joshua, any Israelite who looks upon this bronze serpent and believes in the power of Adonai will be healed. It's an act of faith. Not reason. It's a powerful exchange, and I love the way they, they have portrayed it here. I, I, I suspect that 
I would be a lot like Joshua in this setting. If you've not thought about it, I mean, he, Moses has fashioned this bronze snake. They've been told not to make graven images. But he's going to fashion this bronze snake. And the snake actually predates this period of time in ancient mythology as a symbol of healing. That's incidentally, if you've never wondered why it's on the staff with the medical profession. Uh, it comes out of ancient mythology as a symbol of healing. And so Joshua sees this and thinks, well, we're, we're, this is a pagan symbol. Why are we doing Surely you have misunderstood Moses. The people wanted you to pray for the snakes to go away, and you're, and you're making this pagan symbol that we're going to take out there to them. And I love that exchange. I, I, I don't understand. I just don't understand. And Moses' response, it's a matter of faith. Not reason, faith. I mean, I suspect for many of us, if we had been there, we would have been right with Joshua. What are you doing? This is not what we're supposed to be doing. But as Moses reminds us, sometimes we're called into faith and not to rely on our own reason. Paul to the Corinthians is going to say it this way. We live by faith and not by sight. So often that's what we do, isn't it? We try to cram things into our understanding. We try to make it fit our parameters. We want it to make sense to us. And if it doesn't make sense to us, we don't want to deal with it. But the call of the, the Scripture is to live by faith, not by sight. So just kind of wrestling with this. When you think about the foundation of your life, you know, you're living by sight. You're trying to build your foundation of your life on, on your understanding and your reasoning and what you can comprehend, or, or are you trying to build a foundation based on who God is? So that, that basic kind of conflict in there, that's really what runs through this whole episode. Moses and, and Joshua kind of set it up, and you see uh, uh, Simon Peter struggling to understand what Jesus is doing. You see Matthew, the tax collector, trying to make sense out of things. You see Nicodemus trying to make sense out of things. Now, Matthew and Nicodemus are both, in some ways, they're similar. They're both uh, very intelligent men. They're men of great intellect. Uh, Nicodemus is the Pharisee. He's schooled in the law and in the religious uh, regulations of the day. He understands all that in the history uh, Matthew is, is the person who has the, the very literal concrete mind. You know, numbers add up. They define things. This is what it is. And the truth is the truth. And he's even willing to risk his life for what he thinks is true if that's what it takes. And so he has this very strong conviction about what is true. And both of them are struggling to understand what they're encountering in the person of Jesus. Because he doesn't fit the model of the Messiah they expected. And he does things they can't explain. And so they wrestle and they struggle with this. In John's Gospel, we have the story of, of Nicodemus coming to have a conversation with Jesus, trying to make sense out of this. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Now, in John's gospel, the imagery of day and night are important. They tell us something, light and darkness. If it's at night and it's in the dark, it implies a lack of understanding. If it's in the day and in the light, it implies a grasping of or an understanding or acceptance of the truth. And so he's given us a little clue there, but it tells us even more than that, that setting. He comes at night. Nicodemus does not want the other people to know he's going to meet with Jesus. He doesn't want the other Pharisees and the other religious people to see this. And he goes out at night 
to make sure they don't see it. But he's also going out at night, which is risky in this day and age. Uh, you know, violence was much more common at night when you know, there's no lighting like we have now. And, and so he's taking that risk, which tells us that this was really important. This was really important to him that he was willing to take that risk. So he comes at night and, and, and said, Rabbi. Now that's important too. He doesn't say Jesus. Uh, he says Rabbi, the, the honored address of a teacher. So he starts off with, with recognizing and honoring Jesus, even in the way he speaks to him. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Now you can read that, if you wish, as kind of him uh, being sarcastic, or you can hear it as a very honest statement on his part of what he's struggling with. And Jesus replied to him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. There's that reference back to Numbers. Now I'm going to tell you, for many years when I've read this passage, I've heard it as um, kind of adversarial sparring. Uh, for one thing, within the Jewish tradition, that language of born again was commonly used to talk about when somebody converted from Gentile to, to uh, Judaism. That was a common term in that uh, setting. So Nicodemus would have been familiar with it in that setting. And, and so when I read it, it was like, uh, it felt like they were struggling. Uh, and I love that in the video, the, the writers portrayed this not so much as, as struggle, but as, as Nicodemus trying to understand he wants to understand what he's encountering. He wants to be able to make sense out of it. And Jesus is trying to help him do that. And, and it changes the whole dynamic of the conversation when you begin to understand that instead of them pushing back and forth against each other, actually Jesus is trying to lead Nicodemus into a truth. And those of you who know your scripture know that when you get to the end of John, by the time you get to the end of the Gospel of John, uh, Nicodemus will become a follower. But not at this point. So they come together at the night. They come together on a rooftop. And they have the conversation that begins like this. What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. 
That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. I love that explanation where he's, he's helping him to understand that you may not be able to understand this. This might be something beyond your understanding. You know, you don't know where the wind comes from and where it goes. You just know that it's coming through. You, you recognize that. And the moving of God's Spirit sometimes is going to be like that. You're not going to understand what God is doing, but you're just going to recognize that God is at work. Walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and not by sight. Then Jesus is going to go on and he's going to talk about what the kingdom of God looks like. And in this segment, you're going to hear that reference back to Numbers. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about... 
sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. The first time I watched that, one of the things that struck me was that he speaks in the present tense. Did you hear it? I mean, we're so familiar with that. John 3, 16, for God so loved. But you hear what he says? God loves the world in this way. Now, John, when he was writing about this, was looking back on the events. But you know, in the moment, it's entirely possible Jesus did say that in the present tense. And you heard him pointing back to the numbers story, right? In the same way that when Moses lifted up the serpent and people looked on it when they were saved, when the Son of Man is lifted up and people look on him, which is a reference to the coming crucifixion, they will be saved. That parallel. And Nicodemus is, is wrestling and trying to understand this and struggling with it. And as they talk a little further, Jesus makes a wonderful comment to him. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. And let's be honest, mysteries aren't easy for any of us, are they? We struggle with this, don't we? I mean, if we can't understand it, you know, we kind of want to you know, push it aside, discard it. Probably one of the, the most blatant examples of that was uh, Thomas Jefferson, who just could not understand the miracles and didn't think they made sense. And so he, he created an edit, uh, edition of the Bible that omitted all the miraculous kinds of things from the Bible. It's called the Jeffersonian Bible. You can still go online and order one from Amazon if you want it. Um, but he, he just pulled all that material out because it, it didn't fit. It didn't fit into Jefferson's understanding. And so he removed it. And we're all kind of tempted to do that, aren't we? You know, how come this person receives healing and this person does not? How come this person's blessed richly and this one is not? Why is it that some people's lives are like a Disney movie, right? They all live happily ever after. And other people's lives are just one thing after another. And it's so easy for us to say, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. And try to push it aside. And yet God keeps saying, you know, we walk by faith and not by sight. Or as Moses says to Joshua, it's a matter of faith, not reason, but faith. Somehow or another, we, we have the idea that if, if we can't understand it, and if we can't explain it, then surely that can't be right. As if somehow or another, we're supposed to have the ability to understand and explain God. Which is an impossible task for us. We're not called to understand and explain it all. As Moses says, we're called to follow. I, I've learned to do what he says. We're called to follow. I mean, we even wrestle with this in, in the church. I don't know if you saw the headline this week. Um, this is a real headline, incidentally. Uh, a, a priest used one wrong word during baptisms. The church now says thousands were invalid. This was on February 15th of this week. The priests use we instead of I. 
And the church ruled that all the baptisms he did under that, in that formula were invalid. And all those people needed to be rebaptized. As if somehow or another, God's grace would be withheld from us because we misspoke one word. And yet that's what we do. We try to put God into our boxes and our understanding and insist that God has to do it our way. Because if it doesn't make sense to us, if it doesn't fit in our understanding, surely that's not right. And so we stand with Joshua and we, we, we confront Moses. Or we sit across the table like Nicodemus and, and, and wrestle with and try to make sense out of it, try to understand it. In the course of this, this episode, Nicodemus never does quite get all the way there. We know that later on he, he, he will in the narrative, but not in this episode. But alongside Nicodemus' struggle, we, we have the struggles of Matthew the tax collector, who also is trying to, to make sense out of what he's seen Jesus do. And it, it just doesn't fit the models of his mind. It's, it's struggling and, and really distressing for him. Distressing enough that he goes back to his mother. Now remember, Matthew's been disowned by his family because he's a tax collector. They will have nothing to do with him. He could not even go and share the, the Sabbath meal with them. And, and so this is a, an act of desperation. He goes, he knocks on the door. She agrees to let him in. And although I don't think she really understands what he's talking about, he, he's, he's having this kind of mental breakdown as he talks to her and says, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't make sense out of it. it it's like sand that's slipping through my hands. Uh, I, I'm beginning to think that everything I thought I knew was wrong. Have you ever been in that place? How many times when I've talked to people who are coming newly into the faith, that they, they talk about, man, I, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Well, maybe you are. But maybe it's okay to lose your mind if you gain the mind of Christ. And, and, and Matthew, after that scene where he struggles and his mother can't really comprehend what he's talking about. He leaves. And the next time we see him, he's in the booth collecting taxes. And as Jesus walks by on the street, he turns and looks at him and he says, follow me. And Matthew says, me? Do you know who I am? And Jesus says, yes, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, follow me. Now the other disciples are not real thrilled with this idea because Matthew is a tax collector. You're going to call these guys because again, it doesn't fit their understanding. But unlike Nicodemus, Matthew in that moment follows. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. doesn't make sense to Simon Peter 
I love Jesus' response. Get used to different. That's the walk of faith. To understand that it moves outside of what we understand, of what we plan, and takes us in places where the world can be very different than what we imagined. But very rich. So what storms are blowing your life? What's shaking the walls? And how's your foundation holding up? Do you feel centered? Or do you feel like everything's about to blow away? Is your foundation one that's built on sight? Is it built on what you can understand and on your reason? Or, or is it built on faith in Jesus Christ? The Word made flesh. And, and is it possible that Jesus is inviting you to make him the foundation of your life. And when he says, follow me, how will you answer? Oh, one other caveat. If you decide to follow him, get used to different. Let's pray. Almighty God, you extend your hand, you speak our name, you invite us to follow. And like Nicodemus and, and like Matthew and like Peter, we, we struggle to understand. We keep wanting to make you make sense in our ways. We want to have you do what we think should be done instead of giving ourselves over to you. Instead of doing what you say without question. We want to live by our understanding instead of living by faith. So we, we ask you to come and just pour out your spirit on us in love and in wonder. And so fill us with your love and your power and your grace. That we become different. That we become those who say yes when you say follow me. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.